0: Smoking section. Here we are, another
1: episode of Smoking Section podcast. Make sure you go and subscribe, and like, and follow, and all that good shit, and review. I have here someone who I didn't realize till I think it was last month we met in person that uh, you had DM me. <laughs> A long time ago when I first started this podcast about being on the podcast. Um,
0: We have here, he is blowing up, ladies and gentlemen, Roman Alexander. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm doing good. Yeah, I did DMU. uh, That was a long time ago. I just, I love cigars. I'm a pretty avid cigar smoker. And then we also go to Casa de Monte Cristo, which is, you know, which is the spot. And they have some of my favorite cigars. So I remember when I saw that there, I was like, oh, well, I got to be on that. Number one, I'm already a customer. Number two. Because that just is an awesome concept. I've never heard of that before. But.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I gotta admit that I'm, I'm a I'm a smart guy when it comes to No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna say that. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's okay to take credit for your own stuff, man. Um, yeah, no, when you when we were red during you and you said to me, like, oh, I DM'd you. And I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm like, I don't remember being DM'd yeah. about this. And then I went back and he's like, and you were like, but no, we've actually had a conversation. But I'm like, I don't remember this conversation at all. Cause it was like 2018, 2019. It was definitely during, during, I think season one or season two when you DM'd me. And I'm like, I went back and looked and I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. And definitely uh, before I had anything
0: going on, too. I'm
1: so. glad, but I'm glad I got you on here now. Even it took three years At this point now But I'm glad I, I really can't believe That I had this podcast For three years now But I'm glad we got you on here This is going to be A great conversation Let's Because uh, I don't know much About you besides Of what I've researched And what I've read mm-hmm. uh, We've only hung out once Um, And you You just played a show For us So let's talk about you And your childhood You you From what I've read You're from Parkville Yep out there by Casey Are you a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Oh god yeah, yeah I, You know
0: I'm an original Chiefs fan though I mean You get the people People who, you know, obviously are bandwagon Chiefs fans. They only like the Chiefs whenever they started that's uh, winning. <laughs> uh, where, where are you from? So I'm from Philly,
1: but I'm a my second team that I root for is the Chiefs because of Andy Reid. So I, I, okay, I root for the right. Eagles.
0: Yeah okay I remember you guys talking about that I think in yeah. uh, Red Door I, no I'm a I'm an original I mean I had I, my fa- one of my favorite Chiefs players of all time is Dante Hall back mm-hmm. from you know 2003 to Priest Home Trent Green Tony Gonzalez era I mean the Will wow. Shields I mean like those were that was like my favorite team growing up so yeah I mean it's just cool to see uh, see them win a Super Bowl and then go back to a Super Bowl lose a Super Bowl and then hopefully go all the way this year so <laughs> yes I'm an
1: original Chiefs fan yeah well I mean to name all those names that I haven't heard in a long time uh, that I really forgot that they actually played, um, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, so, you went through the hard times
0: of uh, Alex Smith, I, I sure did, and, and Larry Johnson, and oh, you betcha, Dwayne Bow. Like, I've, I've wow. been there. Wow! So, what was it like growing up in Parkville? Um, I mean, it's uh it's a normal suburban town more than anything. And I say town because it's right outside of Kansas city. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just smack dab right in the middle. I mean, you get the perfect mixture of city and country life. I always say that, but I, I grew up more or less out in the rural side of things, but a lot of my buddies were just, you know, five miles down the road and they were more of a suburb city area. So it was a, it's a really weird dynamic, but, uh, it's a great place, I man. We have a nice little shops and then you go 10 minutes downtown and you have a Gucci store. So, I mean, there's a, a perfect little mixture.
1: I didn't have a Gucci store in my town. Um, yeah, there's no Gucci store. I don't think there's a Gucci store in Philadelphia. Yeah. I don't think there's ah. one, which is kind
0: I've of spent crazy. i a little bit of time up there. Uh, i spent some time uh, in, like, uh, Newtown Square area. Yeah. 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 Good old stomping grounds, man.
1: Um, So let's talk about your family, you and your musical influences because you started playing at a very young age and you started singing in the family band. So what kind of music and things like that were were your family playing in this family band and and what got you into music?
0: Well, what got me into music in general was like my grandpa playing Elvis Presley for me in his 1998 Suburban. I was sitting in the back seat. That's All Right, Mama came on and I remember him being like, hey, I'm going to play something that's going to change your life. Just got to listen to it. And ever since then, I've just been like the biggest Elvis fan. Our family's a big Elvis fan in general, but my mom, you know, saw that I took a liking to that, so she bought me a guitar, and uh, my uncle went with her, who has a country band back home, so that's the family band that you hear about um, that I've probably spoken of. It it was his band, and, uh, you know, they were just chicken pickers. I mean, they're just good old classic country boys, and so I played everything from Johnny Cash to Merle Haggard to, uh, when I got into high school, I was doing it to impress girls, so uh, I did it, I was playing Keith Urban. Floors Work the Line was big at the time, so I was playing those covers, and then throwing some originals in there. And there was a those were terrible songs. Um, <laughs> but I think we've been there, done that before. So what's, you know.
1: what's, what was the first, what's the first song you wrote? Remember it? Oh uh, yeah. It's uh
0: gosh. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's called oh. beer and chew. Like, Chewing tobacco. Beer and chew. I, I thought I, I was, like, real stereotypical country. Um, my mom sure has the lyrics somewhere. She keeps track of everything. I,
1: so I'm, I'm very curious on how that song went. So if there's a recording anywhere, please send that over to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember the the concept being uh, my girl left me and all she left me was beer and chew. I, I remember that. You know what? If you go back and reread those lyrics and rewrite them, you might actually have a hit on your hands. You know, I might, and it's a <laughs> it's only one person right, so it's hundred percent. Exactly. So you might have you yeah. might get a little hit on your hands.
1: You never know. What? How old
0: were you when you wrote that? Probably uh, ten or eleven. Yeah, well, you never know. You never yeah. know nowadays. And it's funny that I knew what beer and chew was at 10. At 10?
1: At 10. Yeah. I mean, we learned a lot before 10 from school. <laughs>
0: I learned everything I needed to know on the school bus. So I always tell everybody that. That's very true. I learned everything I needed to know in the gym. That's a, that is a, that's a ge- very. In gym class.
1: In gym class. Yes. Is, you know, I mean, everyone, we make fun of, we make fun of a previous president about how there was locker room talk. But. Yeah, everyone has said something along lines or have made some type of joke along the lines that's like, whoa,
0: what the hell does Uh, that mean? (laughs) <laughs> and especially if you grow up playing like sports, and when you get into a locker room, more or less high school sports, uh, I remember hearing things in the high school football locker room that I just—if I ever heard my kids say, I'd probably disown them. I mean, like, I would, yeah, I'm the same way. I would, I would probably disown them the things that I that I have heard in the locker rooms before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's hard because it's funny because I, I remember like seeing pictures of you know some of the guys I played football with and in, in high school or or baseball or rugby with, and you know you see them and they're posting. Pictures with their fiance or their kids, and, and they're married now. And then I'm like looking at them, like I remember some of the stuff you used to say in the locker room. And it's just hard for me to look at them any other way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's crazy because it's like when I have a daughter, if I ever have, if I have, if I even have kids, it's like I you try to you, as a parent, I feel like people like they try to, to you know try to protect and block their kid from the things you know yeah. in the world. But it's like at the same time, it's like, but you were part of that world at one point.
0: <laughs> yeah you know my mom was always really um she was always a big advocate of of not trying to shelter me too much Mm because she knew that if she sheltered me too much i was going to probably go and do it in anyways and Mm so um my mom and i are super close um and so are my dad and i and they were both really good about just kind of you know live and learn you know you're going to make mistakes you're gonna um you know us us over sheltering you being overbearing is probably not going to benefit you in any way shape or form right um so yeah.
1: What. So. So when were you uh, when did you move, move to Nashville?
0: I moved to Nashville about six years ago or five and a half, I guess, uh, right after high school in 2015. So that you, was you graduate in 2015. Yeah. God, I'm old.
1: <laughs> God, I'm old.
0: <laughs> when did you graduate? 2014? 2008. Ah, oh, okay, that's not that bad. My sister was 2010, so you're only two years older than my sister. All right,
1: okay, that still doesn't make me feel any younger. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what was your first? What was your first impression of the city? Um, it felt a lot like home. Uh, you know, Kansas City's got the that kind of small town feel to a degree and they've done a really good job even though it's growing like crazy keeping that and i think nashville's done a pretty good job even though i've watched it grow i mean every year every week i feel like the skyline just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and there's something new there and and every single time i talk to somebody i'm here for music or i'm here for entertainment you know i feel like i hear that quite a bit
1: yeah it's like it, it, it is a melting pot but i feel like we all just come in, like we come to this town for music um yeah and it's like instead of swimming in a pond or swimming in a lake you're actually swimming in an ocean so it's it's and there's a lot of great white sharks there's a lot of gigantic whales out there that it's like ah eh, fuck am i really yeah. like you know what i mean like am i going to make it because this this guy has this fucking well with them like you know what i mean like that, that kind of shit and it's and it's, and it's just one of those words that's really what it is it's not a pond everyone says oh there's other other fish in the pond or the fish no When you come to Nashville, you're coming into like this big-ass ocean Mm -hmm. because everyone wants to be a songwriter and everyone wants to be a country singer and everyone wants to be something in the music industry.
0: Yeah, I learned really early on, and I think I had to learn it myself. Um, I was working. I had the typical sob story. I was washing cars out at the Audi dealership, um, and then I was cleaning gym equipment. And I don't mean, like, working at a gym. I mean, like, legitimately cleaning gym equipment. Mm -hmm. And and then... um, You know, would go and write songs at night, you know, and and work between, bounce between two dealerships, washing cars. Um, And then I went and became a merch guy and, and sold merchandise for Easton Corbin, Shenandoah, and Jody Messina. So um, I got a little taste of the road. And the reason why I took that job is I knew that if I went out there and sold merch and was on the road, I would probably figure out, hey, being an artist, is this something I want to do? Because I came to this town with the intention of being an artist. Usually it's vice versa, where people come here to be a songwriter and they kind of stumble into the artistry. My biggest thing is I just want to cut the best songs, whether I write them or not. Mm -hmm. And if I happen to write them, that's great. But the biggest thing for me was I just want to be an artist. So the merch thing was... Um, a really good learning tool. Um, and when I started getting jealous of the artists up on stage, I knew I had to quit. And, and luckily, I kind of stumbled into my publishing deal that way. But to go back to the first thing you had said, with the ocean, I learned early on that keep your circle small. It's a yeah. good to grow your circle. But I had a very, my my best friend is still my best friend. The person that moved me here is still my best friend, always will be. We're like brothers more than anything. And I've just kind of slowly grown that circle. And I've learned that who are your friends and who are your acquaintances? I think that's been my biggest thing. Um, But never turning down an opportunity or turning down a meeting. Every coffee meeting, everything has leads to something. But I think sometimes young artists or young songwriters move here and they get a really bad taste in their mouth because they try to become friends with everybody too fast and they don't take time to actually learn about what they want to do yeah it's kind of crazy i to re, to go balance off of that is
1: you know when i moved here when i moved here i had a, i had some connections you know because i worked in, i had already worked in radio when i moved yeah here, but, but it wasn't like to the point where it's like i was able to make phone calls to these people all the time and like get their advice because they're obviously they were already in the business and they're already making their money and you know doing their career kind of thing yeah. um so it's it's tough, but I mean, being in this town for it's going on twelve years, and it's like I feel like you know, just down. Just like it say it's a ten-year town. I'm I'm in year eleven. After ten yeah. years, they say that you normally you're starting to get where you want to go, and you start progressing. And I think that's where I'm starting at now. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Is where like my network is getting bigger. Mm -hmm. which makes it as your network gets bigger and you say, keep your circle small, but as your network gets bigger, you also start being very, very selective. Yep. On who you get close to because you can still keep that circle small because as you as as Steve Harvey says, as you continue to climb uphill, there's gonna be people falling off out of your circle.
0: And you're a big Stevie Harvey fan. Okay, so I am too. I'm a massive <laughs> Steve Harvey fan. Yes. He's one of my favorites. That He's guy one of my is favorites. One of the most underrated motivational guys in town. Mm-hmm. Or not in town, I mean the world. In the world. In the the saying, world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm starting to see you everywhere even more, but You hit the nail nail right on the head. Is Yes, you get more selective. But then for me to bounce off of that, I feel like sometimes you have to not get so... Like for me, I I had to find that I didn't need to get so butthurt. About the people who used me for contacts or for things like that, like whatever, that's gonna happen. And and I think out of that, um, you learn uh, who who your real friends are. Yeah, I had to learn. I had to learn
1: that. I, I also had to learn that not everyone is going to be your friend, and not everyone is going to help you. Because right. there's, there's gonna be a lot more people. There's, there are gonna be a lot more people who who are friends to you or close to you because of the connections that you have mm-hmm. with someone or with something. And they want that they want to get into, and then. And, you know, they'll be nice to you or they'll be friendly to you until they get what they want out of you. As I learned that. But that's I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough in this industry because it is in this industry, even though we are all, quote unquote, friends and family, yeah. we try to keep treat as treat a family. Uh, we're still everything's still a business everything is still survival of the fittest and you know sometimes you have to be an asshole to be to get to where you want to be and sometimes you have to be an asshole step on some people to get to where you want to be yeah Um, but i think that's just i think that's every industry not just i think it's a lot more ruthless Mm -hmm. in the music industry but i
0: think that's every industry in any way of trying to become successful in what you want to do and more importantly like not being afraid to take risks i'm a big believer in entrepreneurship and i love I mean, as an artist and as a person, you know, who runs your own podcast and is a in, into the event space and radio, et cetera, you're multifaceted. And I think those we're entrepreneurs. It, it yeah. doesn't mean that we're always in it just to make money, but we're in it to build a business and grow a brand and expand a brand, uh, and, and the intention of profiting, but also building fans, friends, and uh um, right. longevity right and it's and and it's when you get into it is you have to have the understanding that guess what you're not gonna make that
1: money that you really want right off the back It may take no. you it may take you 10 years it may take you two years it may take you 20 years but you, as long as you are constantly hard working then at least in this town you are eventually get to where you want to go
0: yep risks are everything to me i think yep. people that don't make it uh, or make it. That's a very weird word. But um people who don't find fulfillment more importantly didn't take risks. Um they played mm-hmm. it too safe. And there's a way to play it safe, but also be a risk taker. Um my favorite entrepreneurs in any facet were always risk takers. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's a Steve Jobs or a Jeff Bezos, um, or Johnny Cash or an Elvis, they all took risks. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean, and that's just
1: that's the name of the game in this industry. Because you wouldn't have a Garth Brooks if someone didn't take risks would sign a Garth Brooks or, or George Strait, you know, yep. or even a Reba. So that is the name of the game, and that's how you ha- you have to have that mindset. If you, you don't have the risk taking mindset, you you probably won't survive. To be quite right. honest. Um, yep. So what's been the uh, what was what's been your heart? What's been your motivation? What's what's been your inspiration to
0: do what you do? And you know, what's your why, man? Failure is my absolute driving thing. I think. If you're going to be an artist, songwriter, or anything, I think your trash can has to be a lot bigger than your success bin. Um, I tend to carry a very big trash can around with me. I might write, you know, a hundred songs, but out of that, two might only fit the thing, and one might only get cut. So for me, failure is my biggest driving force. That's what motivates me every day. Um, If I don't get something right, I'm going to figure out a way to do it, and I'm going to fake it if I can't. You know, I think um, it's okay to fake it till you make it. Um, and I think trying to figure out, like, we all don't know what we're doing. We're all just trying to figure it out. This is the beauty of the name of the game and nobody's formula is going to be work for somebody. Um, you know, for instance, you know, Morgan Wallen's formula might not work for Hardy or Hardy might not work for Morgan Wallen. Everybody's got their own formula. So trying to figure out what my formula is, um, but not getting too specific with it, having fun. And also, too, one of the biggest things for me is not trying to take life too serious. Um, I'm a more serious person than not, but I also I think that the failures have taught me to take, you know, have fun with this, you know, because mm-hmm. the more times I've failed, are about things I've tried to be too serious about. Right, and the things I've succeeded on are just kind of easy breezy.
1: I've never heard someone say failure is a reason to do things. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a that's a, that's a unique answer because normally it, you know typical answer would be like oh my family or you know I never want to live this weight I used to live or whatever you know mm-hmm. but I've never heard someone say the motivation and the inspiration and uh, in their why is failure. Um, it's funny. We, here we go again. We mentioned Steve Harvey, but it, I just I literally just saw yeah. a video about how you know you can't. He was, he gave the statistics on like. I'm using these numbers and I'm screwing these numbers I'm sorry but Michael Jordan shooting 4000 shots and only making 700 of them mm-hmm. right and out of the and and people only talk about people people will never talk about your failures people always talk about your success so he was like making a point about how No matter what, keep failing, because even when you fail, even when you succeed one time, the other times you fail, no one's going to really, no one but you is going to really care.
0: Yep. I am a firm believer in that. I know for a fact that if it was the first time I was ever writing a song, it makes me feel better knowing that Keith Urban had a first time that he ever picked up a pen and had to write a song. You know, like we've all had to start at the starting line. Nobody just gets to jump to the finish. Now we only see the finish, but we never just jump straight to the finish. Mm -hmm. Um, Failure is and should be everybody's motivational factor. I'm a firm believer in that. I will say that till I die. I think everything else, family, Jesus, God, um, you know, all money, all that could be a good motivational factor. Um, And they're all attributes that make your moral um structure but i think that failure is the driving force of success i I, i'm I'm gonna
1: have to agree with you on that because it's like failing is not it's not a bad thing failing is a lesson Mm -hmm. that you learn you know thomas edison failed however many times you know you have all these people that just fell and people don't really talk about that and it's like that's the inspiring stuff learning what so to me and that's that's kind of what i why i started this podcast is learning what people had to overcome yep to get to where they are because at the end of the day everyone doesn't matter how successful you are you are a human being you mm-hmm. you may be a business you may be a product that you know to everyone's eye you may be a celebrity but at the end of the day you had to be homeless you had to be you had to get evicted you had to get your car repo before you got that bit yep. you know everyone should really understand that and really accept that and and just be able to do that um what do you think i'm asking you this question um mm-hmm because I've I've never asked an artist this and I'm really curious as to what they think of themselves on this. What do you think when you first moved to town and you started playing around town, what was, what do you think people's impression of you were, was?
0: I was a douchebag. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was uh a big one. I'm not afraid to say it. I've actually never said that before, but I think, um, and I don't care, I think still think that, listen, I, right. whatever, but, um, you know, I think I, like I said, I took life a little too serious. I, I thought it was completely cutthroat, and I had this very big mindset. I, I was really, like, big into, uh, like, the pop culture, like, the way that they mm. conducted business. I'm, mm-hmm. I was a big fan of, like, uh, I'm not a big fan of the music, personally, but I was a big fan of the way that they, like, structured, like, Russ or like Jay-Z uh-huh. or Kanye, like the way that they did business. I that was super cool. Um, and it's a little bit different than how country music conducts business. I think this is more of a, a family and helping each other out. And I, I learned that. And my publisher, you know, he'll tell you, when I first started with the publishing company and, and the label that I'm with, Twelve uh, Six. I had a chip on my shoulder. I had a real chip on my shoulder. And it's okay to have a chip on your shoulder. You should have a little bit of a chip on your mm-hmm. shoulder. Um, at the end of the day, this is still a business and you still have to conduct it with the business. And my name is still on the business that I tour and run on. So, right. Um, But I I wasn't always the friendliest. I felt like I was always trying to compete with people rather than trying to compete with myself. I was trying to compare myself. I was trying to be somebody else. But I've always kind of kept the mindset that I want to be the first Roman Alexander, not the second somebody. So trying to find the healthy balance of that. And I think I've finally found my stride in Mm -hmm. my run. So that kind of helps. And yeah, everyone,
1: everyone wants to be oh the next, per, or the next Garth books, or next whatever, next C. E. Thurman, next Tim McGraw. It's like, no, why don't you just try to be the first person, first whoever, you know, instead of trying to, I think this industry has an issue with comparing everyone to everyone else.
0: Well, I was going to say with the last thing we talked about, yes, because one thing that really annoys me that I'm starting to see, and, and you know what, I think TikTok and Reels and Instagram mm-hmm. and all those things, they're fantastic platforms. They allow artists to be, a, I think it, tiktok's more of an artist discovery tool than anything but it's also yeah. a growth platform it's not my primary platform but all of them kind of coincide with each other the biggest thing for me i think is uh people get caught up in momentum too much i think there's a there's a healthy balance if you don't release enough music you're gonna lose momentum and that's what that's been the thing for time but the problem is you release music and then somebody else releases music and people it's all disposable so fast that's why albums you know are really hard to push these days that's why people just drop singles and singles and singles and eps and And then you find yourself comparing like well they just released that and they're doing something really cool so i gotta do that and i think that's the problem people get caught up in comparing themselves to and being competitive when you should be competing with yourself at the end of the day my grandma used to always say if you're gonna run with the horses
1: make sure you have your blinders on mm-hmm. because because you, you you don't want to get too caught up in you know what someone next to you is doing because in reality you know if that person let's say if it's that person is hitting you in the game or ahead of you in the race you're gonna get distracted and discouraged so you're gonna to want to slow down some a lot of yeah. people are going, a lot of people gonna to to slow down the race instead of instead of just like i don't care what's next to me i'm just gonna run this race and you know if i win i win um But if I don't, it's a lesson that I've learned or what I, you know, learn about myself and what I can do better that I could succeed at. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people that that is what the comparison thing, you know, you just this industry, it sucks that way. And I think I think also it blocks a lot of people getting record deals, Mm -hmm. I think. And then I also think that once you get a record deal, I think a lot of record labels and this is going to piss some people off, but it's the truth. I think when they become successful with one artist, they try to create, use that same formula with someone else, yeah. with a new artist. You know, I've known labels to, you know, there's a certain A-lister that I've known that I know that is like top of her game. But every female artist that, just, that their label signs, they try to turn into that person. And it's like, you can't because everyone else, everyone is their own unique individual. And that comes with artistry as well. You can't make someone sound like someone else.
0: Yeah, that is um, probably the the most honest thing anybody can say in the music industry is people like familiarity. But I remember the first time, the one thing I always hear is, well, country fans like that. Well, I remember taking a girl on a date to see this guy play. Um, We went to Columbia, Missouri, played a blue note. And it was all sorority girls. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy has he's got it stacked in here. There's nothing but hot girls everywhere. And he stepped out on stage, and he had this gold chain and a flat-billed hat. And he sat down, and his name was Sam Hunt. And uh, <laughs> I remember him playing, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, what am I listening? I've never heard this before. But all the guys there, you know, they, they talked what they talked about Sam Hunt. They didn't like him. But I saw something about him. I'm like, number one, the songwriting is incredible. Number two, he's different, and I like that. Maybe because I was kind of an outcast in high school. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel like that's uh, okay to be different. It's okay to stand out, you know, and, and to be a different color in the crowd. And, uh, you know, sure enough, two years later, he blew up even bigger, went on the Lady Antebellum tour, Take Your Time went number one, Leave the Night on, House Party, blah, blah, blah. And everybody loves Sam Hunt. Now everybody loves Sam Hunt. And then I go back and listen to Montebello. And I'm like, that was pretty fucking country. Like, that was yeah. pretty fucking country. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy because you like,
1: you look at it then, at that point in time, it was it was a game changer. But now it's like nowadays, it's like that's that's pretty normal now. That's you know yeah. what I mean. Uh, well, that you know that's a trend. He, that was a trend setting move that he made. It was trend setting mm-hmm. sound because now everyone wants to be. All of a sudden, you started hearing people talking in their verses as opposed to singing in their verses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know,
0: and they all tried to be. They, I remember right after they started wearing trying to dress like Sam Hunt, the, the long shirts. Yeah, and and they tried to be a second Sam Hunt. I, I, that goes for artists and all. Right. Know, formats, whatever. But um I don't I can't speak on anybody in particular that I can remember, but I remember that being the case. Um and then it switched up a little bit. Uh, you know, one of my favorite artists of all time like generally himself is mm-hmm. TJ Osborne from Brothers mm-hmm. Osborne. Yeah. Um and I remember like seeing him play and I was like this guy is just a bad motherfucker. Like he's just got to figure it figured out. He just he was so badass. Still is obviously but then Brothers Osborne is one of my favorite groups I think that I've kind of dove into this last year. My original yeah. favorite guy um it's billy billy currington i think he's like one of the most underrated guys ever
1: i think yeah oh you and me both i think he's definitely underrated um i think he should be bigger than what he what he is i mean the guy has yeah. i think 11 or 12 number one hits
0: oh i opened up for him in texas and his first song was good direction i i was like how, that that's when you have hits is when your opening song is good directions and your last song Is we are tonight? Yeah, which is a Sam Hunt song. Yeah, yeah, it was literally front to back
1: hits. I mean, all the way down. And it's crazy because you and you because like you look at so many people now that are like that. How many? I you look at the Tim McGraws, you look at the 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 Kenny Chesney's, where their sets are getting longer, but they're also still cutting out songs that people that are number one hits that people want to hear. You know. For, for instance, I know Keith Urban hasn't played, but for the grace of
0: God, and God knows how long. You know, Jerry Flowers, who's my producer, Yeah, said that uh, they just started playing You'll Think of Me back in their set which that's his biggest that's to me that's his biggest uh, hit (laughs) he hasn't played it i guess why did you stop playing that (laughs) right i know and that was such a good song solo is a great song always will be but um he's he's a true artist though i mean he gets he likes to experiment and dive around and Mm -hmm. and test out different things which i really respect for that that's why i say country fans love familiarity because they wanted something that felt familiar to them that was that golden road was Mm -hmm. like all familiar songs um, over time. But another thing that, you know, we talked about earlier was my biggest thing that I, I think I'm trying to accomplish is longevity, not short-term success. So, you know, yes, I, I mean, my numbers, my touring numbers, you know, I, I don't want to go and open up for a bunch of people. That's not my goal. My booking agent has strategically, like, sat down and gone through that. I don't want to open up for all these massive artists. I want to start in small markets and play in that small market and grow, and grow and grow and grow and grow and build that underground fan base. Because to me, that's more valuable than uh, – and don't get me wrong. It's fun opening up. Right. But if you don't have a radio hit, most people will never remember who you are.
1: Oh, and, and that's how it was with Eric Church for the longest time, Eric, you know, with Eric. Eric didn't have a radio hit. He to, he didn't have a number one hit until drinking drinking my hand. And people knew who you know who he was from smoke a little smoke, but at the same time, smoke a little smoke, then get a lot of airplay until after he was a big star and they kind of had to play it. Um, but he was on tour and he, he played, even though he was opening for people, he still played the smaller market because at the end of the day, and I hate to say it, but that's where the money's at. You start playing, you start playing and stuff, and you grow your you grow your brand and you and you you know you grow your 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 listenership should i say on everything in your audience um and then radio will have no option but to play you mm-hmm. you know and labels will have no option but to look at you and take start taking you seriously when they start seeing your numbers as far as ticket as far as ticket sales concerned you know
0: mm-hmm. uh, yeah growing uh, playing for a massive crowd grows your ego and <laughs> playing for a small crowd, but they're there to see you grow your business. Yes. Um, and to me, I think that that's the short-term game versus longevity game. And like yes. I said, I don't have the formula. I don't have the answers, but that's what I'm starting to notice for myself. Um, I get really on these massive hypes when I open up to somebody, and it's so fun. And don't get me wrong. It does build fans. I get fans out of that. But for people to come and see me play at a small bar, and I don't care if it's six people, but that's six people I never had before. Mm-hmm. And those six people know my songs. They know every word. That to me is just as valuable, if not more valuable than having 3,000 people in an arena that don't know your song, but they're there to have a good time, you know? Right, which is very true. I mean, everyone, because that's that's, that's honestly the
1: the goal for an artist is to have a crowd, doesn't matter how big or small, sing, your, sing their song that they wrote or that they recorded back to them. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, having a crowd that knows who they are, not just not just there to see a lady in or not just there to see, you know, a Darius Rucker or somebody. So it makes whole it it understands completely. So what's so we're talking about your career here and 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 I I really didn't expect this conversation to get as intellectual and and deep as it has. Um, But so what's been the hardest decision you've had to make in your career? Um, and the biggest sacrifice,
0: a, the biggest sacrifice, um, you know, I don't think I've had that yet. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that time is going to come when I'm going to have to make that decision. I think the biggest thing I've had to do is share. I think sharing comes for management, mm-hmm. signing a publishing deal. And, and when your ship gets a little bigger, your turns get a little slower, but that's all right. Uh, they're mm-hmm. good slow turns. If you have the right team, uh, I think it's having to if I really love a song um, having to sit down with the team and explain why I love a song verse when I was independent, I didn't, I didn't have to do that. If I liked a song, I would just cut it. Right. And now there's more, uh, strategic thinking behind everything. And that's been a, not a challenge by any means, but it's having to learn how to work with others. And I think it's been a lesson more than anything and a good lesson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely
1: <laughs> sharing is definitely a, a lesson to learn, you know? Yeah. Um, this business you you were an athlete you were an athlete so like uh this business is it's 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 very teamwork yeah it's very teamwork you can't make a move in this industry by yourself um do you have to have the right manager. you have to have the right publishing company right label right booking agency behind you supporting you that truly believes in you not just believes in your artistry or it's not just in it for the money you know
0: yeah here's the number one mistake that a lot of artists make Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm no genius to it. I'm, I'm new. Um, I'm going to be a new artist for a very long time. Learn every day. I'm learning something new about myself and about the industry. Sometimes the hard way, sometimes the easy way. Um, but so many artists just hand the reins to people and they forget what they wanted out of it. So for instance, if you're an entrepreneur, you're growing your brand, you're the boss, you're the CEO. I don't see At the end of the day, people work for you. Your team works for you, but I don't see it like that, even though I do see it like that. In the present, I see it as we work together, and we're going to work together as a team, and that's how we move forward. But I think the biggest thing is so many people just hand the reins, and they say, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's good. Yeah, you guys know what you're doing. You're a big label. Oh, you're a big manager. Oh, you're a big radio team. You know, you got this, and that is not the case because nobody's going to love it more than you. Nobody can want it more than you, but they have to be as passionate as you are. I
1: I I literally just had this conversation with a couple of friends this past week, mm-hmm. um, you know, an artist, an artist friend had some issues and I, and I literally said, he said the same exact thing, you know, even though these people are your team, I said it's almost the opposite, even though they're your team and you work together well, and that's great. At the end of the day, you're a CEO, mm-hmm. you're the boss. Yep. It is your company. Yep. It is your career. Um, like you said, no one's, no one's going to sell you and no one's going to promote you better than you. And so you, you can't leave, like you said, you can't leave your career in someone else's hands. You like, you know what you want to do, find a way to do it. If it doesn't, if it doesn't happen the way you want to do it, that's fine. Find another way to make it happen. You know, um, but don't just let sit there and let your management or your pub deal or your publishing company or your record label take full control over what you want. I, I mean, I remember a story about uh, Toby Keith and Scott Brachetta when they worked a dream, when they were a dream work together and the label kept pushing uh, songs that were that that Toby Keith didn't like, didn't want to put out for a single and uh, Braschetta ended up going, I think Braschetta was like the head of the radio promotion team. Yeah. Braschetta went out to see, see him play one night and he played, should have been a cowboy. And the fucking crowd went nuts. The fucking crowd went nuts. And it wasn't a single. It wasn't anything. The crowd went nuts. And he got on the bus and Toby wanted that to be the single. Toby was already fighting for that to be the single. And once Scott had saw that Toby was right on that, that was Toby taking control of his career.
0: Yep. It's okay to have political plays like, yes. where you know, if you pick this song, this might get you to a certain place that uh, you probably wouldn't get to with this other song. Um, but I think once you get your foot in the door, you got to let the horses go. And I think you got to have a little bit more creative control. Mm-hmm. Um, but that starts that starts with the contract. That starts with the lawyer. You sit down. Mm-hmm. That starts at the starting line. Before you get to the starting line, a lot of artists only see. So here here's my biggest thing. I say this from I say this from day one. Everybody sees themselves at A and Z. And they say, Oh, Z is where I want to be, but A is where I'm at. But nobody wants to talk about what goes on in between that. The alphabet is my favorite reference. And I think um I, I want to play arenas. I want to play stadiums. That's cool. I want to have the number one. I want to have a million dollars in my bank and I want to be very successful. I'm a firm believer I'm going to do that, but that's not what I care about right now. The thing I care about is what I'm going to do tomorrow that's going to affect the next day. That's going to affect, affect the next day. It's going to affect the next month, the next year and grow from there. That's why I'm saying no short term. I want longevity. In a long-term play, Rome wasn't built in a day. You got to put down brick by brick and, and grow and grow and grow each day. Um, yep. You know?
1: And that's I mean Dirk's Binley was the same way. Dirk's another way. Dirks Bindley, you know, Dirk Bindley kept co headlining with Miranda Lambert and opening for Miranda Lambert and opening for other people before he I think was a couple I think I want to say four or five years ago when he finally decided I think at that mark he was at his eighth, eighth year in the career after having fifteen or twenty number ones where he decided he was gonna finally do his first like major arena headlining tour. You know, um, it's a marathon. Not a sprint. Yeah. You know, I'm in the baking business. I'm not in the frying pan business. Yep. You know, um, and that's kind of what it is. Uh, so let's talk more about your music here, because I want to talk about you and uh, the mutual friend we have, uh, uh, Miss Ashley Cook. Yeah. Um, uh Sweetheart, lover to death. Um, but you, because your original song, the original B, uh, Between You and Me was not a duet and i know no. that, i know your management kind of gave you the idea but was it really as quick as you said was that it was actually cook
0: <laughs> uh and so in my head yes absolutely <laughs> um that's exactly what i had thrown around i threw it out i threw out a couple other names um mm-hmm. but she had always kind of been like i'm a really big believer she hadn't even had music out that much yet at the time i don't think she had any music out um i mean she had put out a couple of things like covers etc right um right. tiktok would, had already been kind of doing well with her but i had met her long before that um where she was still trying to figure out if she wanted to be an artist or not she might hate me for saying that but that's the truth mm-hmm. um so i brought her name up in a couple of meetings and this look the song had already been doing great it was doing fantastic it was already on hot country it was already on the major apple playlist mm-hmm. um it didn't really need it. It didn't really need it, another person on it. I, I was kind of a firm mm-hmm. believer in that. But I thought not only will this elevate and help me out, it also helped her out too. Um, and she was the perfect person for that. I try to think about I went through all the playlists. Because um, I'd thrown her name out and just tried to uh, figure out if anybody else, if there was anybody else that possibly can help move the needle, and she moved the needle more than anybody I could have probably asked for. Um, not yeah. only because we have a genuine relationship as friends, though. I mean, like we are genuinely friends. It wasn't just a duet where we do it, sing. Do a couple PR moves and never see each other. Her and I genuinely hang out. um, Yeah, yeah. Once or twice a month.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of crazy. I mean, that's that's the night we met. We I was actually there because of her. So yeah, yeah. These yeah, you guys are genuinely friends. Um, This is not where we're you know like you said, you guys uh, we just put the label put together or whatever. Um, And what fifteen million streams on on Spotify so far? Yeah.
0: So total like twenty seven million um i i kind of because it's the same song so i just kind of throw them all together yeah um and then apple music so i mean yeah we're right at around like 30 million plus so pretty rocking that's freaking crazy that's yeah i played it live um and you know i remember like that this is what the cool moment i didn't videotape it i'm sure one of the content guys i had out there that did one day and i sang it and i sang the chorus and the people knew the chorus and that right there was like ah. Okay. This is how I know I have something on my hands here. Uh, and cocktail conversations isn't that big either, but it did the same thing. Right. Um
1: Yeah, I, I, lo- I love cocktail conversations. I, re- I really do. It's nice, it's a nice groove. Um mm-hmm. melodically it's it's phenomenal. Um and I love the video. Uh, you know, uh as you well, the picture I saw of you smoking a cigar, you know, that was, that's totally you. That's silly.
0: Totally so you. my dog is right behind. I, I see um that. so my biggest thing uh with cigars is i've always been like cigars is not something i like stumbled into i mean mm-hmm. for gifts every year i get boxes of cigars like it's like a big thing for me i i'm just a big cigar aficionado like i i'm not super like a snob on brands and stuff i just like the cigar. i love smoke.
1: you're like me i just love i don't yeah i'm not a snob on brands if you give me a cigar i don't care what brand it is i'm gonna smoke it
0: yeah i don't care if it's a freaking java yeah just give it to me <laughs> if it's a uh, A Monte Cristo, like the cheap gas station one. I don't care if it's a black and mild. I'll just smoke it. Um, But I think my music, a lot of my music was inspired in a cigar bar. For instance, my song Beautiful Girls, the opening line is walking out of a cigar bar downtown. Um, And that was at Monte Cristo Lounge. Or, uh, yeah, I believe it was, I'm 90% sure it was at the Monte Cristo Lounge. And my buddy and I were walking out, and a girl across the street was just... I mean, drop dead gorgeous. So my friend goes, mmm, man, she's hot. And I remember like the next day I went into the room and I was like, opening line of song, walking out <laughs> yeah, of the cigar bar downtown.
1: Yeah, that's definitely, that was definitely, uh, that was definitely out of crystal because they, I know at one point they used to have a, uh, Club across the street. Forget, yeah. forget what it was called. But there was a there was a nightclub across the street before. Now she was walking from the Pine Street
0: Flats area. I remember that.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. So now there's also there's the uh the uncommon ground.
0: Yeah. And the, the dog place. Right and the dog now. place.
1: And then yeah. Tim McGraw's. Tim McGraw's, like, fitness center, true math. So it's like, you, you're going to always see, you're going to always see, walking out of Casa de Monte some attractive female across
0: the street. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is one thing that Nashville has is not short on. And I don't care what anybody thinks. I think people are too politically correct these days. I love women. I think that <laughs> women are the greatest <laughs> gift to this earth. Uh, I, I love and I mean that in the best way possible, not as like a to sound like a douchebag. I, I mean, genuinely, uh, I all the women in my life are extremely strong women. Yeah, uh, my sister is a staff sergeant and was a staff sergeant in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, now she's a wildland firefighter. Uh, she was a paramedic before that. My mom, you know, worked in the car industry where it was just all men. I mean, the very strong women. Women are the backbone of my family. Um, which is i think i gravitate to having a lot of friends who are females like mm-hmm. ashley and i ashley and i are some of my best friends like uh you know Alana lot springsteen um, th- mm-hmm. those are those are some mm-hmm. of my closest friends you know mm-hmm.
1: yeah i, I i'm this i'm the same way i i, I completely agree because you know I, I was raised with strongly my mom my grandma my aunt and so 95 probably like you 95 percent of my friends are females yeah are strong smart females not just strong but you know strong strong smart females that
0: don't take no shit no and if you're going to be friends with people be friends with people you can learn from yeah and i learn more all my friends we all have one thing in common is we all learn things from each other yeah um you know if i'm being dumb i'll hear from it i'll hear about it the next oh, day absolutely something stupid i said oh, absolutely um, i get that all the time yeah me too <laughs> me too. I get that all the time.
1: You know, you really shouldn't have said that last night. Did I really say that though? That's I don't remember that. I you know, I didn't say it, but Jack sure did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't say it. I didn't say it. Jack definitely said
0: it last night, and you're just blaming me for what Jack said. Yeah. So Jack said it in my two friend Costa and Nigo's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Cas
1: and you know those twin brothers. I tell you, I tell you, they get me yeah. in trouble every time. Every uh, time. every time. Red door, what? Uh, Red, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so,
0: what's next for you? Like, so album, new album coming out anytime soon? New music. Um, next next month, we're pushing for that. Uh, November. Um, we have the song picked. we ready to roll. Um, and tour, all touring next month. Uh, we you know we got this tour, so um, you know, pretty excited about that.
1: So. Which right now, your input views are. What's your creative mindset right now?
0: I'm already focused on the next stuff. I'm really big about living in the moment, working on what the task at hand is. But the funny thing about releasing music is, once you release it, you can push it and do all the campaigns and whatnot. The music's going to kind of do the work for you. you got to kind of push and, and, um, you know, use the platforms to the best of their ability to push the song. But I'm already kind of focused on the next thing. I think people move on real quick. So to me, I think that's also been the hardest thing about having a label and team. I love them to death, but... I think that, like I said the bigger the ship the slower the turns but those are really major turns they're really mm-hmm. good turns mm-hmm. um, so for me the t- next task at hand is just getting the next music out after this well
1: Roman this has been a phenomenal episode I'm glad after three years that we finally got you on this show um, yeah next time it will be in person because there will be a next time uh, <laughs> it will be we should person. do one with
0: Ashley and I together we, we, can,
1: we can definitely work on that definitely let's make it happen again seriously um, this has been phenomenal this has been um amazing a deep conversation deeper than what i thought i was gonna get with you um you thank you for being so open yeah
0: Uh, podcast conversation yeah
1: that's so that's really all it is i keep trying to tell people it's just a regular conversation you know it's
0: not interview it's a conversation
1: It's, it's a conversation um so go stream all of his shit i mean he's getting ready to hit 30 million let's let's try to give him that 40 let's give him that 40 million do you it. know
0: do it. give me give me the money let's do it i won't yeah. see it let's, i won't i won't see it, yeah, yeah. Won't see
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah gotta recoup uh so but go stream uh smoking section podcast go listen to all of our episodes leave a review on apple music please because those benefit us a lot more than you think they do so this has been another episode
0: thank you so much for joining us